0: A few years ago, I was walking around one of the beautiful little side streets in Annapolis, Maryland, peering in windows and pretending to myself that I might need lilac soap or Provencal table linens or whatever else was being sold that day. Annapolis, on a spring day, is one of the nicest places to spend an afternoon. The cadets are walking around dressed in white, the stores are full of pretty things no one needs. There's a great ice cream parlor and a place that sells homemade fudge. You can round the corner and see the boats floating gently in the water, or go up another street and glimpse the state house, which really is stately, or just enjoy the sense of history that seeps up from the cobblestones. In one window that day, I saw the icing on the cake, a little orange kitten curled up on a pillow and sleeping soundly. I have a weakness for kittens, so I ran over, watching its tiny body rise and fall as it dreamt of catnip or milk or whatever kittens dream of. Rise and fall, rise and fall. That kitten was breathing in such a regular fashion. I didn't know that kittens were so regular in their breathing, so mechanical. And then it dawned on me. (laughs) This was not a kitten. This was a toy (laughs) made of metal and plastic and some kind of fur that I don't think I want to think about, made to look just like a real live kitten even with the breathing. And I had this immediate instinctive reaction, one that was both deeply spiritual and highly intellectual. Ick! (laughs) (laughs) But why, I wonder? After all, my initial experience of the kitten was the same one I would have had if it had been an actual kitten. It was adorable. Its little body looked cozy and sweet. It added to my enjoyment of the street, the atmosphere of the town. What, after all, is better than a cat curled up in a store window? Why did it matter if it turned out it wasn't actually a cat? For the same reason, I guess, that it seems to matter to me, to us, whether or not YouTube videos are real. Any time there's some incredible video, whether it's children doing backflips or animals jumping through burning buildings, there's a team of people investigating to see whether the video is in fact incredible because it's manufactured. And when it turns out to be real, it becomes even more popular, speeding through email forwards with the subject line screaming in all caps. This is real. There is something in us, I think, that responds to reality, to knowing that something is actually so, to the actual kitten, not the little mechanical one with eerie, regular breathing, no matter how fuzzy it may be. And yet, here we are in a world that has become increasingly unreal, that features blackberries and Twitter and Facebook friends, that draws us into a virtual universe of avatars and screen names, profiles, and even plain old email. We tout the possibility of being connected at all times, like the commercial that shows the high-profile executive able to do his work on a beautiful beach because he's got whatever gadget is being promoted because he can call in, and dial up, and log on. What I wonder, though, is if he's ever really at the beach. The writer Michael Ventura discusses this phenomenon in an article aptly titled Screen World in the January-February issue of Psychotherapy Networker. He writes about our need to document reality to take pictures so that we can post them on blogs or, more likely, if you're me, save them on our hard drives and never get around to actually printing them out or doing much of anything with them. Ventura describes a trip to the petrified forest in the southwest where he watched tourists experiencing the forest for themselves. He writes, Cars and vans would pull up, Couples and families and friends would get out and take pictures of the landscape and of each other with video and still cameras. With three exceptions, they stayed no longer than five minutes. Many stayed barely two or three. They piled out of their vehicles, took their pictures, piled back in and left, presumably headed for the next viewing point, presumably to do the same. Some came from as far as Europe and Asia, All had paid a bunch of money and expended great effort to get to the petrified forest, yet they could, in no way that I understood, be said to have been there. Ventura's experience, I think, raises both the danger and the promise of technology. Because, of course, as everyone who has taken a vacation knows, it can be nice to take pictures to bring home reminders of your experience. Even if you can't grasp the grandeur of the landscape in your little Kodak EasyShare camera, your picture still serves as a reminder, a way of connecting back to the reality of a moment in time. But with all that picture taking, Ventura warns, we run the risk of missing the actual moment of being removed from the reality of the experience in the first place. So how do we harness the positive possibilities of technology while hanging on to the reality we see around us? Because the truth, of course, is that most of us turn to technology, turn to the virtual side of things, for good reasons. We want to be able to communicate easily with friends across the country, to see our grandchildren online through the magic of video cameras. We want to be able to leave the office for a few days without missing an important decision, or we want the freedom to work from home to create a schedule that works for our families. We want the chance to meet other people online, to get to know them safely and easily through a few emails before getting together in person. We want to be able to keep up with the headlines, to follow stories from across the country, and sometimes to have a good laugh in the middle of our workday. We want technology to help us connect. I am certainly someone who falls in this category. Far from eschewing technology, I'm a little bit of an email addict. I checked first first thing when I get to the office, and often right before I go to bed. I check into the New York Times online every hour or so just to see what's happening out there in the world. And I discovered Facebook at the beginning of this year and created not only my own profile, but a page for Wes, too. Be sure that you're a fan. (laughs) It's been fun finding some of the people I went to elementary school with to discover that they, too, have grown up, have children, jobs, lives, One of them, it turns out, plays poker for a living and even made it on ESPN for a few minutes. Knowing this bit of trivia about a long-lost friend tickles me, as I know he enjoyed seeing a picture of my family up there, getting to know what direction my life took since we last spoke. But somehow, those connections on Facebook, as fun as they can be, aren't quite the same as our connections in real life, off-screen. At least, I hope that's the case, particularly since reading about the Whopper Sacrifice, a Burger King campaign which gave Facebook users the opportunity to get a coupon for a free burger by getting rid of 10 of their Facebook friends. The friends and I and I use quotes around that word would get a message letting them know that they'd been defriended, as they say, for a hamburger, or really for one tenth of a hamburger. <laughs> it turns out that 200,000 people were defriended for that one tenth of a burger in the 10 days that the campaign ran. In the end, it was canceled by Burger King when Facebook asked them to stop the message portion, which they felt conflicted with the privacy of Facebook users. Usually, you see, Facebook lets you defriend someone with no message being sent at all. Message or not, the campaign, and the whole idea of defriending someone for hamburgers or just to keep your Facebook page looking clean makes it clear, I think, that Facebook friends are not, after all, exactly like real friends. Few of us would sacrifice even our most loosely held relationships for one-tenth of a hamburger. And if we did, the whole experience would be significantly messier than an alert on a screen. There is something more, something deeper, to our real interactions, than what we find online or on screen or even on the phone. Part of that, I think, is our understanding, our sense of ourselves as embodied beings. We have not yet, if we ever will, evolved into those giant brain creatures with little floating appendages that you see in science fiction movies that maybe nobody else has seen in a science fiction movie. (laughs) Someone has, thank you, Scott, Mark, thank you. We are not those creatures. We are real people with real bodies, bodies that smell and feel and take up space. It's easy, I think, to get lost in the thinking part of ourselves. Indeed, it is perhaps a particular temptation for we who are part of this liberal religious tradition a tradition which prizes intellectual content and philosophical discourse. As I've read more and more about Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, I've been glad to discover that he didn't just sit around sounding wise and writing brilliant things. He and his family had a home in the Adirondacks where he, and when he was there, he hiked and swam and sat in the woods he experienced the embodied part of himself. And although I can't pretend to know how that felt for him, I can share how important it is for me. The Pilates class that I take once a week, the walks I go on with my daughter, even the times I meet friends for coffee, sitting together in a cafe, the acrid smell of dark roast in the air, the other patrons around us, the feel of the smooth, warm, pottery mug in our hands. These are all experiences that bring me back to the center of my being, that ground me in the reality of who I am, of where I am in a given moment. It may be fun to connect with a friend in California, but we can't really say that we're together in that moment. That we're experiencing each other's full selves. Experiencing another person's full self. Even as I speak those words, I'm aware of the deep importance that they hold, the religious significance, especially for us here at WESS. And really, I think for almost any religious community, so much of what we do, of who we are is a place to make real connections. It's what people are looking for at any newcomer's conversation. Mary and I inevitably hear about that need for community, the hope to be in real relationship with other people. Our coming together on Sunday morning is all about the chance to be together with each other. And especially here, where we have both a time to greet your neighbor and a community-sharing time, followed by coffee hour, you can see how important that sense of relationship is. When Susan Rose, the leader of the Ethical Society Without Walls, came to visit us here in January, she shared how wonderful it was for her to be in a group of people who sang together. The Ethical Society Without Walls is an online ethical society, a source of inspiration and ideas and virtual connection for people who can't get to a real live ethical society on Sunday mornings. It provides a great resource loaded with online content and platform archives, but there's no getting around it. You can't sing along to a computer screen. Even in this community, though, we can find ourselves drifting away from real relationships, relying on our quick and easy emails to each other, playing phone tag and sending attachments. There's no doubt that it's convenient for a committee to be able to have a teleconference when the members can't get together, but I think the committee's missing something when that happens. It's helpful, and there's a place for it in our work here but we lose out on the chance to look each other in the eye, to read body language and hear subtle changes in tone, to pick up on those cues, and to respond with a call for deeper connection. The title of my platform address this morning, Here in the Real World, comes from, of course, a country song. This one is by Alan Jackson, one of my favorite singers. He's singing to an old flame, telling her how she taught him the difference between fantasy and reality. Cowboys don't cry and heroes don't die. Good always wins again and again. Love is a sweet dream that always comes true. Oh, if life were like the movies, I'd never be blue. But here in the real world, it's not that easy at all. Because when hearts get broken... It's real tears that fall. Alan Jackson is right, of course. Good music, whether it's country or otherwise, always carries a piece of truth. The real world offers us real connection, deeper connection than the virtual one. But it can also be a scarier place. We can't defriend people with a click of a button. We can't block their access to our account. We have to sit in the reality of our bodies, our lives, the totality, physical, emotional, spiritual, of who we are. When I log on to Facebook and fill in the little update about myself, I get to choose exactly what goes there, what I say. Knowing that it will be broadcast, because apparently they care, (laughs) to all the people in my network, I might choose to share something pretty innocuous about myself, to hold back from writing the whole truth of my experience that day. Facebook, you know, is rarely the place to post about your deepest moments of anguish, the parts of yourself that you keep, perhaps, hidden from electronic view. What I want to say to you today though is that we need to have some place to bring those parts of ourselves. To have some community, some real community where we feel able to share all of who we are. It's not easy to have that kind of honest experience of each other. To let the masks slide down so that we can see the joy the pain, the loneliness, and the hope that lies beneath them. But I think if we have any chance of doing it, we have to log off and disconnect our devices so that we can be fully present. Even if, as Alan Jackson warns us, that means that real tears will fall sometimes. It is so tempting to slide back into virtual world, to follow the updates that flicker across our Facebook pages, letting us know what our friends are up to, or at any rate, what they've typed into their computer that morning. It's so tempting to pull out our cameras and capture the moment, to keep our Bluetooth plugged into our ears so we don't miss the call that might be coming through, that might tell us that vital piece of information we need to continue on. Earlier this year, I suffered a minor virtual tragedy, or perhaps a major one, when you think about it. My laptop's hard drive crashed and took with it all my writing, my papers, and my pictures, starting about seven years ago and continuing through until my daughter's first birthday. Some—it was, It was a virtual tragedy. <laughs> Some of those pictures I'd posted on a baby blog, but mostly they were gone, locked into this little metal hard drive, which sits, hoping for a miracle, on my bookshelf at home. I had not, as you may have guessed, backed things up in a while. (laughs) This is more than a cautionary tale, though. It's a story of freedom, from our electronic history. Because although I was sad about losing those pictures, and although I hope to have them retrieved someday by one of those firms in Ohio that rescues dead hard drives, the surprise for me has been that I was not devastated. I remember the pictures, and I remember the real moments, too. With that comes a feeling that even when we lose our electronic version of reality, we don't lose the reality itself. And in the end, it's the reality that matters. We don't really want the high-tech electronic kitten, even if that means we'd never have clawed up furniture. We want the real kitten and the real petrified forest. And the real friends, the ones who are harder to defriend, who sit across from us and hold our hands. We want the real world. And it's by coming together, friends, that we can find it. I close this morning with words from Pearl S. Buck. The love of the human heart is the most real and the most beautiful of all the realities we know. It is the richest gift of our manhood and womanhood. It is the love that joins us together as lovers, as husband and wife, as father and mother, as parent and child, as friends and neighbors. Whatever the length of time may be, to have known something of this is to have experienced the supreme privilege of being human.